learn from Jesus, we must follow him. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. To find our purpose, we must follow him. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I came that they may have a life and have it abundantly. At Mansfield Bible Church, we believe by following Jesus, we learn to live a life of purpose. What does a follower of Jesus believe? What does a follower of Jesus do? At NBC, we use three key words to describe what a follower of Jesus believes and how those beliefs affect the way we live. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. It is impossible to follow Jesus without abiding in him. A follower of Jesus understands that apart from Jesus, they can do nothing. So a Jesus follower believes they must remain in Jesus. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God designed the church as one body with many members. A Jesus follower is never on a solo mission, but rather is someone who belongs to the people of God called the church, growing in their faith and in community with other Jesus followers. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. A Jesus follower cannot hide their faith but are compelled to share it with others. Jesus uses his followers to impact the world around them as they live out the gospel in their daily lives. Good morning, church. Y'all doing all right? This is me this morning doing technology. <laughs> so y'all need to be in prayer. Hey, are you guys ready? Did you come in this morning ready to hear from God? You know, we're beginning a series, uh, Jesus or following Jesus, and I'm using the term Jesus follower as well. And we're looking at these three key words that we just talked about in the, in the video. And this morning we're on the word abide. <clears throat> I think this series is really important because it brings us clarity at Mansfield Bible Church. When we talk about our leadership, we talk about the elders, our deacons, and our lay leaders, and teachers, and so forth. We're, we're identifying something that is really important to us when we begin to talk about who we are, what we are as a church. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to consider and to make decision about following Jesus. Uh, I'm going to challenge you. I'll just tell you that up front. I'm going to challenge you. If you've been around me lately, you know that... that 
um, I'm, I'm really taking this pretty serious and I'm pretty passionate about it. And I'm gonna challenge you this morning. I'm gonna ask you to consider where you are in your walk with God. And are you abiding in Jesus? That's what we're looking at today. Last week we talked, began this discussion about being a Jesus follower. And one of the things we brought out is that we're moving from a place of control to a place of dependence. You're gonna hear that term over the next few weeks at different times. And when we begin to look at our lives, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind and your soul, to love your neighbors, yourself, as it relates in our relationships with God, and that's why you'll see these, these symbols up there, our relationship between us and God as individuals in the body, as we relate to one another, and then as we relate to the world, uh, to love our neighbors ourselves. We, we cannot, we cannot impact the world for Jesus if we're not abiding in, in Jesus. We cannot. I'm going to submit that to you today. Um, I'm going to tell, I'm going to talk to you a little bit today that, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not into playing games. I'm not. If you know me, I'm pretty straight out there. All of my weaknesses and shortcomings are out there as, as much as my strengths and all that, right? Because really when it comes down to it, all I have to offer is this relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. That's all I have. And this morning, I believe that God is uh, put on my heart to challenge Mansfield Bible Church as we, and when I say Mansfield Bible Church, let me clarify, I don't mean these walls and this building. If these buildings come down, the church is still here because the church is God's people. And so this morning, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I wanna talk about that. I wanna talk about what does it look like to abide in Jesus and to follow him. And I'm gonna challenge you, I'm gonna ask you to consider. I'm not gonna have you raise hands, fill out a sheet. I'm not gonna come to your house during the week because there's one that you answer to that knows you better than I do, who created you, who sustains you, who keeps you. And so he's the one I'm gonna trust. But in the process this morning, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, be, in that, I'm gonna be praying and trusting God to speak to us. So right now, I want us to pray. I want you to pray. Maybe you grab the hand of the person next to you. Maybe you turn and, and kneel at a chair, whatever, however God lays on you. But what I want you to do is I want you to ask God to speak to you this morning, where you're at, and all of your chaos. We all came in these doors today, and some of us have chaos. If you have young children, you got chaos in your home. I know that, okay, because I went through five of those little burgers. They all grow up, and it does calm down. I'm just telling you that, young parents. But, um, but some of you came in with chaos. Some of you came with hurt. Some of you came in with pain. Some of you came in maybe on top of the world, and, and you just don't know tomorrow it can come crashing down. That's the world we live in. But the stabilizing factor in our lives is Jesus. And so right now, we're gonna go to him. We're gonna ask him to speak to us. So if you will, let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. And we don't come, Father, in, in pride. We don't come in, in all of our knowledge and our skills and our abilities. But Father, we come to you as a people who are in need. Father, we need you in our lives. And Father, we are not able to overcome and to conquer all the things that we are gonna face in this world. And Father, every breath that we have, we find dependent on our abilities, Father, but yet at the same time, we take it for granted, just like we do sometimes in our relationship with you this morning. So God, we ask that you speak to us. We need you, Father. We need you to move your spirit among us and 
Father, where we're at, some of us, boy, Lord, we just need to be encouraged. For whatever reason, the different things that have been going on in life and we just figure, gosh, Lord, we just need your encouragement. Encourage us, God. Some of us, Father, we need to be confronted. We need to be confronted, Lord. May your spirit be willing to do that. May our hearts, Father, be soft. May our hearts, Father, be ready. May we have hearts for you. That, Father, you would develop in us a thirst, a desire to know you, Father, to depend on you each and every day, each step that we walk by faith. That, Father, you would speak to us. We depend on you, Father. Father, I depend on you. Father, go past all of my inabilities and shortcomings, my own iniquities, God, and speak to us, your people. Let us not be comfortable in complacency. Let us understand the truth of your word and the, and the power of your might as your grace is at work in us, as your spirit is at work in us, that, Father, we would follow after Jesus. We ask this, Father, in complete confidence on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. I, I hope you're prepared. If you will, take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I'm gonna read John chapter 15 and verse five. <clears throat> and as I, as I start this, I also wanna just kind of emphasize some reasons why I think this series is so important. I mentioned clarity among the leaders, but I also want to talk about an emphasis to live a life of purpose. I believe that God has created us to live a life that is far greater than ourselves. And I believe that the only way that's possible is by following Jesus, that by following him, we begin to live a life of purpose. So that's why today, one of the reasons why this discussion is so important. But I also believe the discussion of following Jesus is important because it begins to eliminate, it begins to eliminate excuses, distractions, and wrong thinking about what it means to follow Jesus. That God is calling us to maturity. That God is calling you and I to a place of maturity, not to a place of mediocrity where we just kind of walk by, but to a place of maturity. God is interested in our lives. He's interested in what our lives produce. We came to Christ by Jesus and him alone. I stand here today solely on the grace of God and the righteousness of Christ. I didn't attain it. I didn't earn it. I simply received it through faith. And just as that is true in salvation, it's true in how I live my life. Just as, just as the source of my salvation is the grace of God, the support of my Christian walk is the grace of God. It's not because I'm super talented and I'm super disciplined or any of those things that I begin to walk with Jesus. It's because by faith, I begin to believe and trust that God changes me, and he has. If you know me any length of time, you've seen God work off some of the rough corners in my life. And I've got a lot of them. And you know what? So do you. We all do. It's not an excuse. And I want us to eliminate those excuses. I want us to eliminate the distractions that become so, so, so pronounced in our lives that we begin to lose sight of what it means to follow Jesus. I want us to lose 
track of those wrong thinkings that we have sometimes about following Jesus. That we think following Jesus is just simply walking through a door. We're putting something in a plate. We're being involved in, in church somehow without any relationship. God forbid. God is a relational God and he made us about relationships. When you look at the idea of abiding, it's a relational thing. And so when Jesus walks into chapter 15, he is talking about a relationship with him. It's interesting that he says in verse five in chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. God's goal is that you bear fruit. Did you know that? I love that. I'm so thankful God didn't just save me and sit me in a room and say, please just wait till I come and, and get you. But he saved me and he sent me into the world. And in fact, it tells us in the scriptures, he entrusted with me this remarkable thing called the ministry of reconciliation. That God was in Christ, in the world, calling people to himself, and he's given us that same message. It's amazing what God has done and the idea of the fruit that we can produce as we walk in him. First thing he says in verse five, he says, I am the vine. If we went back to verse one of the same chapter, Jesus says, I am the true vine and, and God, the father, is the vine dresser. And he's drawing out this picture of how fruit is to be produced. If we were to go back into the Old Testament, we would look at, at the nation Israel. And God was gonna bless the nations, which he did through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But through the nations, he would make himself known, that God would make himself known through the nation of Israel. And they would produce righteousness and they would produce justice and, and, and they were to be a light to the other nations. But if we were to go to Isaiah chapter five, verses one through seven, we would see that, that it wasn't righteousness produced. In fact, Israel produced rotten fruit on many occasions. And it talks about there, and you can go to Isaiah chapter two as well, and it talks there about the leaders who have, have blood on their hands. Instead of justice, there was injustice. Instead of, instead of concern for, for the widow, for the orphan, for the, for the under-resourced in their day, the leaders used that to promote themselves and to promote their power, to promote their, their own self-gain. And God says, instead of righteousness, I got outcry, where that word could literally mean uh, riot. That there, there was no concern for the others. And so now when he walks into chapter 15 and he declares, I am the true vine. In other words, the way that righteousness is now gonna be produced isn't through the nation, but it's through Christ. That now I am the true vine and he is the vine dresser. He, he addresses those who aren't involved in the vine. And this is important because if you're not attached to the vine, you can't produce fruit and you're gonna fall away. And then he's gonna talk about that in this very verse. But he says, he says here that he's the vine. In other words, God's intent for you is that you be connected to the vine. So Jesus is that true vine. Through him, we, we produce fruit. It's really important to understand that only through Jesus can fruit be produced. Only through Jesus can fruit be produced. Think about that. We don't produce fruit because I volunteered. We don't produce fruit because I decided I'm gonna do this great thing. 
We produce fruit because we're connected to the vine. That's why Jesus says in the very next phrase, very next phrase you are the branches. I'm the vine, you are the branches. And this is really important because we gotta understand where the source and nutrients for our spiritual life comes from. It doesn't come from anywhere else but through Jesus. He is our source. Now, in my home, I've been lately learning over the last couple of years a lot about growing things. This is kind of interesting because I do not grow things. My wife will build a garden. I'll be more than happy to move dirt and wood chips and all this other stuff. But when it comes to really growing that stuff, it, it doesn't happen. I, things die around me. I don't know why. It just does. I don't have the, the whisper voice that causes them to grow. But we've been eating vet, uh, vegetables right out of our garden. We go out, we had sandwiches yesterday, went out and plucked lettuce right off of our, our lettuce, and that's what we ate immediately. And it's amazing to me, you know, to see this happen. But here's the interesting thing. I was driving down the road the other day, and this, this branch had fallen down and uh, off of a tree, pretty big one. And you know what began to happen on that branch? It began to die. The, the leaves started turning brown and, and the branch began to decay because it wasn't connected to the source. And Jesus is teaching us this, that we are the branches and that you absolutely are dependent on Jesus to survive spiritually. You cannot you cannot survive spiritually and not be connected to Jesus. You cannot. If you're not abiding in him, if you're not connected to the branch, you are not gonna grow spiritually. You cannot. We need to get that thinking out of our head that there's another way. There isn't. I've searched the scriptures, there's not. And if you're not producing fruit in your life, guess what? You're not connected to the vine. You're not. When we talk about following Jesus, we're talking about moving from a position of control in my life to a position of dependence on him. When the branch removes itself from the vine because it thinks it can survive, it has just been deceived and been lied to. You cannot survive spiritually without being connected to the vine. In fact, Jesus goes on, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, this word abide, I love, I've really fallen in love with it over, over the last few weeks. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, this word abide appears 11 times in this chapter alone. 11 times. In this book, in the Gospel of John, it appears 40 times. And if you go look in the John's epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the apostle John wrote there, 27 times he uses the word abide. You think this word was important to John? Absolutely, because he understood how absolutely it was important for God's people to abide in Jesus. And he's teaching that, he's reminding us that as Jesus had taught them. He's recording these words. So the idea to abide literally means to remain or to stay. It's to remain in something or to stay in something. And in the context here, it literally has the idea to remain in Jesus. They were to remain in here. Now, when we start asking ourselves, well, what does that look like? What, is that, what does that mean to remain in Jesus? The idea of the word is kind of an aorist tense. It's the idea to, to step in union with. So we're to step in union with Jesus. He's literally saying, step in union with me, be in union with me. That there's this idea of dependence on him. 
And here's what's amazing, people. I got really excited when I discovered this. Jesus gave us an example of what this looks like. He taught us by his own life, what does it look like to be in union with, with, with Jesus? He gave us an example of that. <clears throat> he, in fact, uh, let me see if I can find it here. I am going down. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said this. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise. Look at it like this, dear people of God. So Jesus is saying, when he's talking about what does it look like to follow after or to be dependent or to remain in the father. So Jesus says, the son cannot do anything on his own. So what does the son do? He says, what I see the father do, I do. What I hear the father say, I say. And he gave us an example of what it looks like when we follow after Jesus, when we abide in him. He's saying, if here it is the, the son of God, it tells us in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In verse 14 of that same chapter, it says, and the word became flesh. This is how I know Jesus was God. If Jesus, who is the son of God, if he is demonstrating what it looks like to, be, to abide, to be dependent on the Father, how much more should we also realize the absolute necessity of depending on God should be in our walks with God? That we can do nothing of our own. If the Son demonstrating this to us, that the Father, he was dependent on the Father, how much more should we understand that we must be dependent on Jesus? In fact, he, it isn't the only place he says that. He also says it down in verse 30. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so when you begin to talk about following Jesus, it's moving from a place of control to a place of dependence. It's moving that we begin to speak the things that Jesus spoke. We begin to do those things that Jesus did. We begin to look like Jesus. That's why the New Testament church was called Christians. That our life begins to, to look like his. That he begins to, to live in us and we depend on him and we abide and we stay in that union we have with Jesus. And if Jesus being the son of God walking this earth depended on the father, how much more should we? Do you see that? Well, how are you doing? I'm not, today, hey folks, um, some of you are gonna leave here, you're gonna be mad at me because Greg, you crossed the line or whatever, or you got meddling in my life too much. And you know what, I, you're gonna be mad, that's fine. But I'm, I'm tired of playing around. I'm not gonna play around about my Christian life. I'm, I'm tired of how often in the church today we get distracted with different things instead of reflecting the Son of God. It's interesting, if you look at the rest of this chapter in chapter 15, you get down to chapter nine, verse nine and through verse 17, and he's talking about how we relate to one another. And you know what the predominant idea is of that chapter? That it's impossible to live this way without, uh, without love, without love for one another. And man, is the church today known for love? God forbid. 
in the way that we speak to one another and the way that we treat one another. You see, when we start talking about following Jesus, it begins to impact every area of our life. But it doesn't embolden us to run over people. It emboldens us to stand in our faith and trust Jesus. Someone shared with me right before this service about them stepping out in faith and being bold and sharing. And then they made the comment, I wish I was more passionate. I'm like, no, that, we just gotta be ourselves. We just gotta be ourselves. I'm probably gonna say it and I offend people and I get them upset and all that kind of stuff. That's probably gonna happen with me. But that, I think God made me a different way and God made you differently. And that's why next week's so cool when we get there next week, when we start talking about belonging in the body, that every one of us are different. And God puts us together. I believe God brings what we need in the body and he supplies what we need to do what he wants us to do. So dear people of God, where are you at? Are you depending on him? Have you, have you grown comfortable? Oh man, see, when we depend on him, there's something we need to understand. We need to understand his presence is always there. That's what he says. Whoever abides in me and I in him. Now look, when he says whoever abides in me, it's kind of a question, isn't it? It's kind of dependent on us. Do we abide or not? Because he gives us illustrations of those who don't abide in the context. But he's saying, I abide in them. And I, I really see this as him being kind of giving us a sense of encouragement when he says, and be assured, I am remaining in you. Jesus isn't moving. Jesus is there. If you've received Christ in your life and you know Jesus is your savior, guess what? You're in him. He's not moving. I can remember my dad kind of telling, I, I heard it a long time ago. So this is, you know, whenever you start telling stories from a long time ago, you think, you know, already the youth are going, oh, and they're rolling their eyes, right? You know, kind of deal. But I remember this old, this old story where uh, this, old, this old couple <clears throat> were riding together. Now, you remember back in the day, some of you probably don't know this, now we have bucket seats, but we used to have these bench seats, right? And so when you got a girlfriend or you got married, where did the wife sit? Man, she's sitting right next to you. We didn't have seat belts back in those days either. So, you know, it was a lot easier. And I can remember, I can remember this story being told of this old, older couple who had now been married, you know, 30, 40 years. And the wife was sitting over by the door and she said, you know, we don't sit together like we used to. And the husband said, well, I didn't move, right? Now, I might get in trouble for that one later, but you know, but it's the same picture. Jesus didn't move. Think about this. Jesus is there. So if there's movement, who's making the movement? We are. That's why we're moving from control to dependence. If we quit depending on him, it's not because he isn't there for us. He is there. Just as Jesus was confident that the Father was always there for him. He knew that he could depend on the Father. He knew he could do nothing on his own. And in what he saw the Father do, he did. And he didn't move away from that. We too must not move. We must not. He abides in us. And he says when we abide in him, guess what? We, we bear much fruit. We bear much fruit. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing picture. In fact, this is really a picture when he says, when he's talking about I and you, this is a picture of that union we have in Christ. You know, when I received Jesus in my life, I by faith trusted Jesus. 
I, I believed and I trusted in him and when I trusted in him, I, right now I stand in the righteousness of Christ. I didn't produce anything myself. I didn't make anything up. I didn't make it happen. I just simply believed and trusted in the work of Jesus to deliver me from my sins. That's called grace. Grace is the source of my salvation. Grace, God's grace, what he's done is the source. Now, when I receive Christ into my life, now I have a new life. That's what it says. What? The old things, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, you are now a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things come new. And sometimes what we do is we walk into this grace and we cut this old life and we just say, oh, we can't do anything about it. Well, I don't believe that. Because I believe in a God that is constantly changing us. I've seen it in my life. I am not the same guy 10 years ago. I am not even the same guy a year ago. God is constantly chipping away at my own heart and at my own um, controlling nature, my own weaknesses, my own struggles, and he's working. But it's, it happens this way. Grace is still the source. Grace is, that's why I talk about the power of grace at work in my life. Grace is changing me by faith. It's each step. Oh yeah, I stumble. And by the way, I stumble a lot, just so y'all know that. I stumble. And when I stumble, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But it's even a step further. What I do is I say, you know what? I am not that person anymore. So I've been working really hard in my driving not to call other drivers idiots, right? And so one of the things I've started trying to do is learn to, to, to give a blessing rather than a curse. Because I think that's biblical. You know how hard that is? Because sometimes people don't drive very smart. <laughs> and I'm one of them too, uh, by the way. I'm sure I've been cursed a few times. But I believe God wants me to change that in my life. And so I'm, in, I'm trying to learn how to speak blessing instead of curse. You know, that's really, really hard. But by faith, he's changing it. It's not a discipline in my life. Some guys are really good at going, I'm never going to say that again. And they never say it again. Well, I'm not one of those guys. I have to really work at it. And I have to walk by faith. So just as grace is the source of my salvation, grace is also the source and the support of my walk in Christ. So if I'm gonna bear fruit, I have to absolutely be dependent on him. I can't be broken off from the vine and expect fruit to be produced. I can't expect change to take place if I'm broken from the vine. Because just as, just as by salvation I depended and believe on him, so I believe and trust in him in my daily walk. You see that? So grace is at work in both of these, but grace changes us. I am a new creation. I am, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. He, it changes who we are. So we've got to understand when he says, will you abide in me and I in you, this relationship brings about fruit. It brings about change. It brings about what God is at work and doing in us. Because if we don't, if you think of that image of that broken branch and the leaves begin to turn brown and it begins to decay, because apart from him, we can do nothing. You see, it's really important that we understand our union with Jesus. That when you trusted Christ, on that day when I believed and I trusted, and by the grace of God, I stood in the righteousness of Christ and I stood in union with Jesus, well, what does that look like? If you, had, if you got a handout when you came in, I'm refer to that. I put three verses on there because I didn't think I can get them all on the slide. And 
Uh, I didn't necessarily want you to spend time turning there because I wanted to talk. That was, is that control or not? I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, if you got one of those, look at it. So when we talk about our union with Christ, first thing we need to realize is it's based on regeneration. It's based on change. It's based on new life. Okay? If it wasn't based on new life, how can I expect change? It's what God does. Look what he says, and this is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Verses 1 through 3 tells you you're dead in your trespasses, and we were wallowing in the world and all that stuff. And then he says in verse 4, but God, aren't you, I mean, I love these kind of terms. But God, God interjected. He interjected in the life of humanity, in humanity enslaved by sin and death, but God stepped in. Amen? Come on, people, wake up. What's the deal today? I mean, come on, our chairs need to be rattling here. This is serious stuff. But God, God interjected while we were enslaved to our sin. God stepped into our world. Look what it says. God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, listen to this, made us alive together in Christ Jesus. God made us alive. Thank you. I was just about ready to get upset again. Man, come on. Our chairs should be rattling, folks. If you're coming in the door and that statement doesn't excite you, you need to really relook at your Christianity. But God hath made us alive. But God made us alive. And he raised us up and he seated us at the right hand of the Father. Hallelujah. Amen. Boy, I'm waking up a little bit. Good. Amazing what God has done. Our union with Jesus is based in regeneration. That God made us alive. And he goes on, he says, see this in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In the ages to come, and I believe in an eternal God, in the ages to come, we are gonna be trophies of his grace, a demonstration of God's grace at work in our lives. Man, I wanna start walking in that grace now because I know there's an eternal Reminder of the grace of God of what he's done. If I understand God has made me alive, how much more shall I live in that grace? How much more shall I walk in that grace? How much more shall I by faith abide in that grace? Right? And he goes on, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. None of us are gonna be boasting about what we've accomplished. If you're moved today because today I'm speaking to you, that's the spirit. That's why I tell you when you say, great, good sermon, what am I going to say? Praise God. You know why? Because I had nothing to do with it. I'm merely walking in Jesus and I trust God to speak to you. I stand at the back of the room and I go every time before I preach and I go, God, why are you having me do this? Right? I mean, it's a fearful thing to stand here and say, God's saying this. It's a fearful thing. I, I dread standing in front of him and leading his people astray. God forbid. But I believe God has called me to do this. He's called me this morning to call you to maturity, to follow after Jesus. In fact, he goes on, he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That you are God's workmanship. When you abide in Christ, he's gonna abide in you. He's not moving anywhere and you're gonna produce fruit. You are his workmanship. He's designed you to produce fruit. And dear people of God, we gotta be abiding in Jesus. We gotta be connected to that vine. Our union with Christ demands it because God has made us alive. And not only that, our union in Christ, it is to be continued to live through faith. Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You are not your own. You have, when you receive Christ in your life, you've been bought with a price, a costly price of the, the death of his son and his resurrection. You are not your own. He's the king, I'm the servant. He redeemed me that I might live in him. So the life that I live, it isn't my own, but it's, what does it say? But it's Christ who lives in me. It's not the accomplishment because I studied really good this week. It's trusting Jesus to speak to us, his people. It's trusting Jesus to live by faith. It's trusting Jesus to conquer those things in our lives. And he says, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by what? By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why I get frustrated when I hear people sometimes use grace to say, oh, I'm just a mess. Yeah, you're, we're all a mess. And, but by the grace of God, we're gonna stay wallowing in that mess. But dear people of God, I believe in a God who has redeemed me and set me free that I might walk in righteousness. Yeah, I'm gonna stumble, but I believe in a God who forgives sin. I believe in a God who picks us up that we can continue. Then the life that I live, I live by faith in, in, the, in the Son of God. Not my abilities. We need to walk in such a way that the vitality of our faith becomes demonstrated. Because he doesn't call us to sit in a room somewhere. He doesn't call us to gather in a little place like this and that's all there is. He called us to be his children, to live in a world and impact a world. We have the ministry of reconciliation. Not only does the union bring, is based on regeneration and it's to be continued to live out through faith, but it gives us an eternal and heavenly perspective. Understand this, that your salvation gives you a different perspective of time. That's what he says in Colossians chapter three, verses one, four, one through four. If then you have been raised with Christ. Let me stop right here. Have you been raised with Christ? Huh? Yes? Do you know Jesus? If you don't know Jesus, today is the day of salvation. And if you haven't received Christ in your life, and what I mean by receive, I don't mean walking an aisle or praying a prayer. I mean, have you trusted Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? It's not based on how many times you walk through a door or how much you give in a play or how many times you serve down in children's ministry, youth ministry, or some other ministry. It's based on trusting Jesus and Jesus alone. If you have been raised with Christ, then listen to this. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Remember last week we talked about, we talked about Peter and, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And he told Peter, you begin to think of the things of man rather than the things of God. Because Peter was rebuking Jesus for talking about going to the cross. 
Can you believe that? Our victory was at the cross. And Peter's trying to convince Jesus not to do that. And that's what happens in our lives. We begin to try to control the outcome. But we need to live lives of dependence. And when we live a life of dependence, we, see, we seek the things where Christ is. We seek the things that Christ wants for our lives. Not what we want, but what he wants. It impacts everything we do. What we say, how we save, how we do, how we build, it affects everything in our lives when we start following Jesus. And he says, he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died. Remember, you've been regenerated. You have died and your life I love this, is hidden in Christ with God. You know where my life is hidden right now? It's hidden with Christ. Now listen to this. When Christ, who is your life, do you understand that? Christ is your life. Me calling you to maturity this morning, me calling you to, to follow after Jesus is not absurd if you understand that your life is Jesus. Boy, I better be careful. I want to get close to y'all. <laughs> Sorry, about stepped off the stage there. Um, it, it's not absurd. We need, to be, we need to understand that our life is Christ. Look what it says. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Amen. Right? Because that's when, that's when this all makes sense. When we appear with him in glory, when Jesus is revealed, we will be revealed with him. Let us be faithful today to walk after him, to abide in him, so that when we begin to walk after him, we begin to bear fruit. In fact, it's interesting, if you look at it, back in chapter 15 of, chapter, uh, of the Gospel of John, if you looked at verse two, he says to bear fruit, and then bear more fruit. And then in verse five, he says, bears much fruit. You think God has an intention on your life to bear fruit? Absolutely. That if we're gonna be children of God, and we're gonna be people that are gonna follow after God, we need to be a people that are bearing fruit in our life. We're talking about the vitality of our faith that we begin to demonstrate that in our lives. We begin to demonstrate that, that we show Christ in the way that we live. I know some of you this morning, you're looking over here and you're like, Greg, did you just bring a piece of furniture from home or what? You know, I, I, that's actually not mine. I borrowed it from somebody. But, but I began to think about these drawers and see, what we have a tendency to do is we compartmentalize our lives, don't we? We kind of open this drawer. In this drawer, we put work, we put school, we put, we put our money, our leisure. We put, we put all those kinds of things, our, our retirements, we put all that stuff, and we put it in there and we shut the drawer. And then we have another drawer. This is our God stuff. You know, we put our Bible here. We even put our Bible reading in here. Maybe our Bible studies, we were maybe even going on a mission trip, our prayers, those kinds of things, we put it in here. But we just kind of never let the two drawers kind of interact. We begin to compartmentalize. Anyway, you know what I mean. We have different compartments for how we do our lives, right? And then, then what sometimes we do is we even create a third drawer. Maybe it's a work drawer, a school drawer. This is how we, this is how we get in inappropriate relationships at work. This is how sometimes we get hooked on pornography or on other things. Because if our spouse was standing there, we wouldn't do it. 
So we begin to compartmentalize our lives and we begin to separate. And that's not how we abide. That's not how we trust in Jesus. So when we begin to do this, we begin to follow him. What happens is, is we begin to take our Bibles, we begin to take who Jesus is and we kind of put it here and we don't let him get over in this life. And we try to keep him there during the week. And what we have to do is pull him out and we say, Jesus is over all of it. He's over all of it. Everywhere I go, I remember when I was a kid, I remember uh, senior high school, I hadn't been a believer long and I had a youth guy who said, you know what? He was talking about purity and in relationships and dating and so forth. He said, you know what? Just take your Bible with you on your date and put it right there between the two of you. By the time you climb over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're not gonna, you know, gonna sin, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> I always thought that was funny, but I think there's some truth to this. Because you know what? When I have my Bible there and I'm looking at the internet where I'm on my phone and I got my Bible there, I'm more mindful about Jesus, ain't I? And this is what we do. When we don't want Jesus, because we want to move, we're moving to control instead of dependence, we take Jesus and we, we put him over here and we make that decision. We remove them between that relationship of purity because now we're in control. We're not dependent on Jesus. And we do that with every area of our life. We begin to, we begin to, we begin to, to, to compartmentalize and we live different ways. That's why you find out people who have been living and you go, my gosh, I never would have thought of that. I never would have thought that person would have done that because they lived one way here and another way here and another way here. And when we got, get called to follow Jesus, there's only Jesus Let me ask you a question. In your work, in your jobs, in your, do they know about your walk? Do they know about Jesus? Or do they know your political view? Where they know your social agenda? Where they know your hobby? Because Jesus hasn't taken preeminence in your life. I told you I was gonna challenge you this morning. See, you can only answer that question. It's between you and God. And I'm challenging you. I'm calling you. I'm calling you to maturity. I'm calling you to, to, to look at your life. It's interesting right here in this chapter, in chapter 15, if we went back two, other, two chapters to chapter 13, Jesus reveals that Judas was the one who was gonna betray him. Judas walked with them, the 12, for three years. Three years he walked with them, just being a part of him. And then he betrays Jesus he was never really tied to the vine, if you will. And I think this would have been absolutely on their minds when they read this, when he calls them to abide. He calls them to, to be in union. It's interesting, if we went to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm gonna flip it up here in a minute. Let me remind you what the book's about. 2 Corinthians, Paul's being challenged for his apostleship and whether or not he's actually living the gospel, whether he's a true teacher of the scriptures. And he's being challenged. And throughout the book, he's over and over giving really a defense for his apostleship. And in chapter 13 and verse five, Paul says this. He says, examine yourselves. In other words, you've been examining me. Examine yourselves to see whether or not, whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And we should do that. We should take time to look at our lives. Hey, listen, folks, we're really good at examining everybody else's life. We're really good at giving opinions at everybody else's life. 
If you don't believe me, go look on Facebook. I quit looking. I'm, sometimes I'm disappointed in what I read there. We're really good at that, but we need to test ourselves. We need to look at ourselves. And this is what Paul says, or do you not realize this? Let me ask you this. Do you not realize this, that Christ, Jesus Christ, is in you? Do you not realize that Jesus is in you? If Jesus is in you, it impacts everything about your life. I, I don't want to be a church that just walks through a door and we're all happy and we kind of go, oh, wow, wasn't church real great? Let's all go out to lunch and have a good lunch and Jesus is great. And Monday morning, nobody even knows that we were believers. God forbid. Or the way that we talk to the lost in such a way, why would they want to come to church? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the most best dressed person in the world, Right? If I go into a clothing store and a salesperson comes up to me and goes, you know, Gray, those really aren't very good shoes. And by the way, that shirt isn't very good and those pants are, you know, you, your hair. Did, I mean, you know what? I'm walking down there. I'm not buying nothing and I'm not ever going back to that store, right? And yet we do that in the church, don't we? We have a message of reconciliation. We have a message that is everlasting, that takes people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We need to produce fruit and we need to realize that Jesus is in us. And we need to preach Jesus. We need to preach the gospel. We need to be alive about following after Jesus in all that we do, all that we say. And he says that you're to test yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you have failed the test. I don't want to fail that test. I don't want to fail that test. I love you guys. Um, I, I just, I just want to see us as believers at Mansfield Bible Church excited about Jesus, thirsting for him, making a difference in our world because we have an eternal message, the gospel, following after him in all that we do and all that we say. And at this point, I'm just going to trust the spirit to speak to your heart. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I don't, I don't know what else to say and I probably said too much. I don't know, Father. I trust your spirit. Father, move among us, your people. Let us not be complacent, oh God. Let us not be a people that, uh, that kind of speak out of both sides of our mouths. Let us not be a people that put, puts you in one area and bring you out in another and, and we kind of control our lives. Let us live with an abandonment of faith, trust in Jesus, trusting him. God, move in us, encourage us. Father, if our hearts have grown hardened this morning, God, please have mercy on us. That we would hear your word and your truth and walk therein. That we would not be a people that are blinded by this world and deceived by the, the prince of this world, but the Father, we are a people tied into the vine, producing a vitality of faith, following Jesus. That, Lord, we would be Jesus followers. That people would look at us and not just identify us as good principled people, but, Father, we would be identified as people who follow Jesus. Have your way with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.